Welcome to... Hey! Great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Crack Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin, and joining me for today's Australian Open Day 1 Recap Pod, our first of the Grand Slam season in 2019, it is the third member of the Great Shot Podcast, Holy Trinity, I'm sorry, Fliegner, former Denison men's tennis superstar, and my favorite foster, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, hey, great shot. Back again after only 24 hours. I should say the only Fosters that come to my mind are you and Ruben Foster, and I'm pretty I was sure he. Say, who's my yeah? Who's my uh, who's my competition? Well, isn't he the linebacker for the Redskins who domestic assaulted and they picked him up anyways? I'm pretty sure that's him, former Bama player. So again, the competition is light. Well, you have Arian Foster, good running. Oh, back. Arian uh, Foster, better. you're you're it's no better if you're going the football. The football <laughs> yeah, route. Exactly. But what did you think? You know, before we get into anything, how was your day one experience? Uh, frustrating coming from the U.S. Open where you can see all the matches and here it's like match goes on at 3 a.m. and that's, uh, that's tough luck. Um, but did what I could, saw the highlights, woke up for part of Murray. We'll get into that when we, uh, get into it real, real deep. But, um, honestly, a lot of good matches, um, some upsets, some I saw coming, some I definitely didn't. So yeah, we'll dive in. I'll say this. I was overwhelmed. There were so many matches on from that 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern time window. Men's, women's, you had Collins pulling out an upset. Stevens, Townsend on the men's side. Obviously, so many matches throughout the day, and we will talk about all of them on this recap pod. If you missed any of the action from day one, if you want a sneak peek of what matches you should be on the lookout for on day two, and just, you know, any of your Australian Open content needs throughout this tournament, check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. We will be keeping you up to date all week long. Alex Gornett, our newest writer, Christian Harris, who's done a great job, will have daily content for you guys. Gornett will be talking about the men's side. Christian will be talking about the women's side. He's also delved into the college tennis realm on the women's side, so look out for his new content it's great to have him join you know stokoyak cardiff the whole crew will be back and max rothman who could not be here will of course be on this podcast later in the week we'll be doing these daily recaps every day throughout the first week because there is so much tennis and then we'll go to the end of each round at the end of week two so be on the lookout for all those things like rate subscribe review we want to hear from you if there are any matches that stick out to you that you want us to talk about just let us know and we'd be happy to do so but all right jamie with that Let's get into our recap, and what we're going to do is we're going to break down our five favorite matches from the day, and then we'll, of course, touch on the other American results because there were a lot of Americans in action, as well as the seeds and just some of the random things we saw throughout the draw. But the match I think we have to start with, the match that you mentioned, you woke up for, I should say. I have the bladder of an old man. I was up at 5.30 a.m. I had to go pee. And I happened to, you know, check my phone. I was like, oh, I think Murray's probably on. And I saw the scoreline. And that kept me up, and I was able to watch the end of that match. Roberto Bautista Agut, the number 22 seed, takes out Andy Murray, 6-4, You know I have a lot of things to say, but I'm going to let you go first, Jamie. What did you think of this match and just all of the storylines and hype surrounding it? Yeah, I mean, it was just so tough to watch, um, not only just because you see him limping out there, but just because of the bigger implications of his career and um, you know, you see he's got a tough draw, and, I mean, RBA, as we call him, you know, he's been playing great tennis, and so, you know, you don't want to take anything away from him. Um, you know, he played phenomenally throughout a lot of this match, 
Um, and really, throughout this match, at least the, the front end of it, you thought he was going to run away with it in straights. Um, it really looked that way. He was up two sets to none. He had control of that third set, um, but then the you know that champion just mental toughness of Andy Murray took over and you know really just ramped up this match and, and turned it into a uh, an incredible five set thriller. Are we sure we want to go with RBA? Are we sure it's not a little? Brad? I don't. I it's a little Brad like Gilbertish. I personally don't like it, but that's how it is in a lot of the notes. What, what should I we don't call think him? it does do his. Ju- I, it doesn't do his name justice. Batista Agut. That is beautiful. I don't. I mean. <laughs> I, I'm just at mercy of what's in the notes a lot of All the right, time. I'm done. Then we'll go with Bautista Agut for the rest of this review. Yeah, he was great. You look at some of the stats from this match. Bautista Agut serves 30, or 73% on his first serve percentage. That's obviously much better than anything in the 30s. Uh, for his first serve win percentage, he wins 83% of those points. That doesn't happen against a prime Murray, no matter who you are. Um, second serve win percentage, Bautista goes 24 of 40, 60%. Uh, again, that doesn't happen against Prime Murray. Yeah. He goes 5 of 10 on break points, 23 of 32 at the net. You know, hits 53 winners against 37 unforced errors. Did a really good job of playing aggressively, stretching Murray as much as possible, not being afraid to show a little patience, waiting for an extra ball before he changed directions. And then he moved forward comfortably, you know, 32 attempts at the net. It's a sizable amount, and he wins 23 of those points. That's, you know, that bodes well for him moving forward. On the Murray side, you know, 19 aces against two double faults. Andy Murray was going for it. He knew he had to end points quickly. You look, mm-hmm. He hits 50, or 50 winners, which is still pretty good, but makes 51 unforced errors, which is something we're not accustomed to. The The backhand, which was... You know, at his peak, maybe the best portion of his game, just it wasn't there. Too often he relied on the slice when stretched. You could tell he was in pain when he had to dip low and dig for the Bautista Goose shots, which are rather flat. You know, Murray only wins 49% of his second serve points, 31 of 63. That's not very good. Goes to the net 34 times, wins 23 of those points. That's, again, a testament to him ending points early. You know, if this is the end of Andy Murray... It wasn't that bad of a level. I thought he played very well, and obviously he comes back from a breakdown in the third, wins the next two sets, 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. Just didn't have much left in the tank in the fifth, but I don't know. A lot of people were treating this as though this is for sure his last match. There was the whole tribute video at the end. It honestly felt like he died. It was a lot. I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. I... Uh, but it, it was weird because they acted like that, but then also the tribute, I mean... It's hard to explain because based it was on his ridiculous. Press it, it was could, ridiculous. It like it could be his last, but it, it definitely wasn't. He wasn't like, "Hey guys, I'm done." I, I mean, I don't know. It was it was bizarre. Um, I mean, I think parts of the video we can talk about that later. Parts of the video were good, I thought, and that's that's cool. Every every person at the caliber like Murray at, at that level deserves that. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was a little odd. It felt weird. Part of this is me projecting because he's lost and he's no longer in the draw. But I thought the video was f***ing ridiculous. Hopefully Murray gets a chance to play again. You know, he seems to keep that window open, and obviously it would take a mm-hmm. lot of rehab. But still, it was just devastating. It, maybe it's the Murray fan in me. It felt condescending to see Fat at however old he is now, 55, 60, just standing there saying, Andy, your career was great, but... I'm still playing, so ha ha ha. It's like, come on, we don't need this right now. It was just, it was a lot for me to handle. I think you're reading into that. I, I don't think anybody <laughs> said anything that was condescending. Um, you're right. If anything, I it am. was, it was all, it was all respectful and it was all very nice. Um, 
it, it was definitely tough to watch at the time, pretty emotional. And, and, and if that is the end, that is really tough. But um, I think I think they probably just felt like, hey, he had this press conference and there's a chance. And there's certainly a chance that this is the last Australian Open. And he's been a finalist multiple times. So it's like, hey, you know what? I guess I guess we owe him this video. Because in reality, it was just, you know, spliced together a few clips of the big names. And not that big a deal. Um, but probably an important thing for the Australian Open. They, it, I think it was a good move. It was just... It did feel a little weird, especially if that isn't really it for him. Yeah, which very cla- very classy move by the Australian Open. I'm not trying to take away anything from them or the effort. I'm just salty myself. It just hurts to watch. But Fair enough. Well, last thing on this match, and then we'll move on. Roberto B- Bautista Gu now draws John Millman, who we obviously remember took out Roger Federer in the U.S. Open just last year. What do you think of Roberto Bautista Gu's chances moving forward? I mean, honestly, he's playing very well. Um, I see him winning this match, even with Millman and his home crowd um, advantage here. Uh, Batista Gook just played against a crowd that was definitely rooting for the other guy, um, so he knows what that feels like. Um, it, there's going to be a lot, a lot of just phenomenal baseline play in this next round, so I'm excited for that alone, um, and I still think he comes out on top. Just He's, he's in sharp form right now. I, I just don't see him throwing that one away. All right, well then, let's move on to our next match. We've got to talk about an American. In fact, it's probably rude that we didn't start out with this match. One of my favorite results of the night, something I knew I should have bet on in my tourneytopia, but I went, you know, my heart and my head played a lot of tricks on me. I, I went, I thought way too long about that tourneytopia. I think I did it for like two and a half hours for my men's draw, just ridiculous. But let's talk about Mackenzie McDonald, who takes out Andre Rublev, 6-4, 6-4, 2-6, 6-4, in what was honestly a comfortable win for Mackie, he looked great throughout the match. Yeah, he did. This was this was really fun to watch, too. Um, we'll get into that later when we talk about great matches to watch from yesterday, but this was a lot of fun. Um, you know, no, we let's knew, talk about that now. This was a phenomenal match. It to was watch. great, yeah. And you knew you knew with these two guys in their games, it was going to be, you know, a lot of just hard hitting ground strokes, and especially hard hitting from the Rublev side. And you got to wonder what McDonald was going to do and how crafty he was going to get. And um, it was great. You know, McDonald kept the pressure on him. He kept coming to the net. Um, he threw Rublev off a lot. You know. And it, it was really fun to watch, honestly. There were great points all around. Both are just great athletes. Um, this was this is one of my favorites, if not my number one favorite of the day. I think one of the most misleading stats from this match, you look at the total points won, McDonald 124 to Rublev's 118. Of course, this was a four-set match. The three sets Mackey won, all very close at 6-4. The set Rublev won more lopsided 6-2, so obviously that slants that number. Mm-hmm. But you look at some of the things, Mackie in this match wins 71% of his first serve points, 57% of his second serve points. Those are the numbers you need in a 3 or 5 match to sustain. You look at break points, he goes 5 of 13 versus Rublev's 4 of 11. You know, they both guys definitely had chances, but the biggest thing that stands out in this match, net points. Mackie McDonald's goes 30 of 50 in this match, 60% at the net versus Rublev's 3 of 7. You know, yep. that's not a good number, only 43% for him, but still out in seven attempts. What does that really mean? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's reminiscent of last year when Mackie was able to push Grigor Dimitrov in Australia by coming to the net so often, taking mm-hmm. time away from a guy like Rublev, who if you let him sit on a ball in the middle, he can hit his forehand as hard as anyone on tour. And just the way Mackie takes balls early, the way he redirects shots, never, you know, goes more than three balls in the same direction before changing it on his opponent 
he took, you know, Rublev's strengths away from him, and that was so great to see. Mackey's a guy I'll be watching moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. He came in into this match with a uh, like just with an absolutely perfect game plan, honestly. Because Rublev, like you said, if he's got that time on the ground strokes, you know he can torch anybody, especially with that huge forehand. The thing Mackey did a great job of is he didn't allow Rublev to get comfortable and play a clean game from the ground. Um, and that shows up in all the different stats, you know, especially in the winners and unforced errors count. You know, Rublev comes in with 30 winners but 41 unforced errors. I mean, it's just it's just a testament to how much pressure Mackey was able to put on him every single point of every single game. Um, and like you said, now with Mackey advancing, playing Chilich, another big name like we saw him pressure Dimitrov last year. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that match? It'll be interesting. I mean, Mackey can take time away from anyone. They, you know, he can be out powered or just because he's kind of on the smaller end 511 mm-hmm. you know he can generate as much pace as anyone but you can get the ball out of his strike zone especially if you're a Marin Chilich. yeah still if yeah, he's able to take is, yeah. the ball early redirect Chilich, get him moving side to side it wouldn't shock me if Mackey steals a set you know not at all yeah. that would be my worry though especially against the Chilich, is just the pure power over and over and over um both from the ground and off the serve and yeah but I mean who knows yeah, and the last thing I'll say on this match, you look for Andre Rublev, four aces against nine double faults, 30 yeah. winners against 41 unforced errors. He has to go for it so often to take control in the points. And, you know, he wins 70% of his first serve points. But when you only make 52% of your first serves, especially right. against a guy with, you know is, who's as capable of a return as a Mackenzie McDonald, it's just not going to cut it. And so... It's okay. First serve percentage is something that can always get better as your career goes on, and that's why, you know, don't sleep on Andre Rublev. He may have lost this match, but there are certainly things he can improve on. For sure. All right, well then let's move on to our next match. This was probably the most disappointing match of the day, one a lot of people circled as pretty crucial in terms of laying out the draw moving forward. This, of course, was Tomas Burdich, who takes out number 13 seed Kyle Edmund, 6'3", 6 You know, Jamie, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, this one I definitely saw coming. Um, yeah, it, it's such a basic, I don't know, it, it's a straight set 6'3", 6 win for Burdich. I mean, Edmund just did not look good. He started off the first two sets both just terribly, like, I mean, it just it just was not that good of a match, especially. I mean, the third set definitely had some better moments in it, and Edmund um, had his chances, you know. But at the end of the day, it's it's a straight set win, and what honestly was not very competitive until that third set. Here are the things you just can't have if you're Kyle Edmund playing a guy of Tomas's Burdich, you know, six six stature guy who can hit it as hard as anyone when he's set on the baseline. You know, he only four aces against three double faults. You know, when 62% of his first serves, which is pretty good, but only 44% of his second serves, what that reveals is Burdish was just dictating off of that, attacking the Edmund backhand. You know, Edmund only comes to the net six times in this match. He made a ton of unforced errors, 36 in this against only 25 winners. He just really never got comfortable, you know, was broken in the opening games at both the first and second yeah. set. His one break point in the match comes when he's up 5-4 in the third, and it did seem for a moment like he may have a chance there. He did pick up his level in that third set, but he just, it was a disappointing showing. Not what you want if that's your first match out of the year. No, and there were definitely some moments where you saw that, you know, that classic cross-court forehand of Edmund firing, um, and that's great, but there were way but too many. But he missed. Just, he they, missed. I know, there were just way too many that he just sprayed. And, um, and, so and he's like, got if you're Kyle Edmund, 
I know Tomas Burgess is a big guy and, you know, he has a big first serve, but you just cannot let him win 88% of his first serve points. It means no. he was attacking that first ball and you just no. were doing nothing with it. And right. if you watch the match, that's what you saw. Kyle Edmund, when he was on the run, when he was stretched in this match, he turned to the slice backhand too often, which Burdich, to his mm-hmm. credit, was cutting off at the net. Or he just sprayed a forehand wide. Yeah. No, it was it was bad, honestly, from his side. But, I mean, like I said, not surprising to me. This is one I had um, as Burdich advancing in my draw. And so this this wasn't too much of a surprise to me. I definitely didn't think it was going to be this much of a beatdown, especially those first two sets. Um, but, I mean, Edmund just didn't play a clean game. And Burdich, you know, to his credit, he really did. He did what he had to do. And, you know... That's it. He moves uh, on. I was going to try and not bring this up, but I'll be honest with you. I got killed on Tourneytopia today. Uh, it was no, a well, rough hey, come on. You got you to wait through the first couple of rounds. Let it, no, let it I know. sink in and, but you know, I, averages. It, I knew in. I should. Burdich was in one of the last matches I filled out, and I knew I should have picked Burdich, but I just, I've talked about Kyle Edmund so much. I really thought he might, you know, surprise us in the three out of five format. I didn't know Burdich physically was, you know, as in good of shape. He looks thinner. Like, he looks good. And Well, there was, when was it? It was a couple years ago, maybe. I don't know how old I'm getting now, but there were a couple. <laughs> 22. How long, how long ago was it where Burdich came back after the offseason and had dropped, like, a significant amount of weight? I think two years ago. I think that was, like, two years ago. I, I, I noticed it was just incredibly visible. It was like, okay, wow, you dropped a lot off. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe this is, you know, sort of a sign that that's helping and now he's in great shape. Um, well, I want to say you mentioned you had him winning this match. You look at some of the stats from this one. He hits 37 winners against 14 unforced errors, wins 88% of his first serve points on 65% first serve percentage, 58% of his second serve points, 10 of 17 at the net. He matches up with Robin Hassa. Do you see him, you know, potentially winning that match, maybe even making a second week at this event? I don't know about second week, but I had him advancing to the third round in this one. Um, you know, he's a veteran player, and if he plays if he plays the way he did in this, now granted, Edmund helped him out a lot in this one, but he did play a clean game overall. That winner to unforced air count is honestly phenomenal. He served well. He looked like he was moving well. I, I have no reason to doubt him in the next one against Hasa. Yeah, I, I, he's a guy who can definitely do damage moving forward. You look at his portion of the draw, obviously he beats his seed in Edmund. If he can get by Hasa, he would play the winner of a Dennis Kudla, Diego Schwartzman, both guys who, you know, much like we talked about before, could be overwhelmed by the British serve and might get out of their strike zone. They, he might be able to outpower both of them. Who's to say he's not going to make a fourth week? Max Rothman said it on the prediction pod the first fourth week. Fourth week, huh? Oh, the oh, fourth wow. week. He's, that's, <laughs> how, that's how well he's going to do. He's going to make the second week, the fourth round. But hey, great shout out to me. Yeah, it, it's definitely possible. Uh, I'll be watching him. He, he, he caught my eye, definitely. Fair enough. All right, well then, let's move on to our next match. And I want to do two quick over-unders with you before we break it down. In this match, we're talking Riley Opelka, who took out John Isner, the number nine seed, 7-6-7-6-6-7-7-6. Oh, I'm sorry, that was just their heights. No, that was also the score. Eh, Yeah, give me a little drum beat there. First over-under. Over-under, well, you might have the stats in front of you, but hopefully you I already looked at the stats, so yeah, that's tough. 87 aces in this match. That's a lot. That's ridiculous. And honestly, too, for how big, I mean, granted, they've got the advantage of being nine feet tall, but the double fault count, I mean, Isner hits 47 aces and two double faults. <laughs> That's insane. No, he was, 
that's the thing he does better than Riley is his serve is that good now. I mean, you look at the percentages yeah. in this match, what he wins, you know, makes seventy eight percent of his first serve elite, wins eighty seven percent of those first serve points, only has to play thirty one second serve points in a seven six seven six six seven seven six match, and he wins nineteen of those for sixty one percentage. I mean, what Opelka had, I think, three break points in the match. Isner had two. Not a lot to talk about other than these guys dominated on their serves. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, too, that if you look at the stat sheet on a lot of these, you're like, oh, Isner, 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 Isner. But this is what happens when you're playing this sort of big guy, big man, whatever you want to call it, tennis. It's just whoever gets to the tiebreak and then who knows, you know. And so when you look at the stats, it's, it's hard for any of them to not be misleading in some way or another because you're looking at this and it's like, well, it doesn't really matter until it's, you know, 4-4 four, four in the tiebreak. That's really the only time it matters. So two um, counterpoints I'd make to that. Things I definitely notice, and I think the stats reveal. Net points, Isner 22 of 31, Opelka only 11 of 15. I mean, Isner was clearly the one more comfortable moving forward. He wanted to get Riley on the run. Now, to Riley's credit, he did a lot better on the run than I would have expected. And, you know, he hit 64 winners against only 24 unforced errors. He went for his shots. But, you know, for the first time, his shot selection was much better. He knew he had to be disciplined against Isner because, again, you only have to wait three or four balls before you're going to get a chance if you can get John stretched. Now, to but Isner's I mean, credit, 79 winners against 25 unforced yeah. errors. But they knew they were playing clones of each other. They knew exactly right. what to do. But the thing is, that's what I'm saying, though, is when you look at the stats, Isner, I mean, Isner is leading in most of them. You know, look at break points, one of two, one of three. Like, okay, there's sort of a wash. Net points, 73%, 71%, sort of a wash. Isner's got more winners. You know, he, he has more aces. He's got a higher first serve percentage. He, uh, it's 85 and 80%, 85%, 87%, excuse me, on the first serve win percentage. Like, a lot of them are close, but the, there's a lot of them that Isner's leading in the stat category, and yet he loses this match. And so that's why tiebreaker tennis, it's like, it's kind of hard to gauge that way. Total points won, 142 for Opelka, 147 for Isner. I mean, Isner should have won this match. He played two bad tiebreaks. He should have won the second set. That's the tiebreak where Riley hit the backhand down the line passing shot. I mean, Riley guessed right, and obviously he executed really well, but John was right there. This was an either-or match. You know, not the most exciting in terms of the tennis you saw. It's interesting. I heard a commentator say Kevin Anderson for someone 6'8 moves about as well as anyone that size could. I agree with that. I'd also say for a 7-foot tall human, Riley Opelka, age, what, 21, moves about as well as you could expect from anyone his size. I think that's pretty fair. And, you know, hopefully that, you know, that agility that he brings will just continue to get better and better, um, at least to a point throughout his career uh you, you'd like to hope so at least um but yeah i mean you know what you're getting into when you see this match like there, there's no surprise here it's not like we're suddenly going to go out and watch like oh wow these are phenomenal ground strokers going at it moving like crazy like no it's we know what we're watching and or in my case not watching and looking at the stats after so here's my last question to you opelka now matches up with tomas fabiano who took out kubler in four sets if he's able to win that match he'd play probably grigor dimitrov or pablo cuevas what do you have the percent chances at of riley opelka making not a fourth week but a fourth round Mm. uh pretty low i mean (laughs) i I think i think he knocked out the seed 
I know he did, but he'd have to get through Dimitrov. We replaced the lamp with a chandelier. Wow, beautiful. Um, I mean, the thing is, though, it's just like once can he a can he sustain a high level? B once he gets to the real test of playing these bigger names, you know, Isner's sort of a different case because he knows his game and it's a special sort of game. Like, I, I don't know. It's tough to tell, but my my gut says no. For a couple of reasons. A, because I don't think he can sustain a high level and he doesn't have that experience. And then B, he's going to be going up against people who are just, you know, well-versed on the court like Dimitrov. I'm going to agree with you. And my reason being, first serve percentage for Opelka, 58% in this match versus Isner, 78%. Now, Opelka did win 85% of those first serve points, going 74 of 87. But he got bailed out by the fact that he was playing John Isner, going 42 of 64, winning 66% of those second serve points. Obviously, as a big man, he's going to always have to do better on those second serve points. But that's a little better than it looked out there. And that's why I'm so high on his upside, because I think his serve can continue to get better. Wait until that first serve percentage gets around 65% routinely, which is definitely possible for him. But I agree, in the in the near, unless he really picks that up, or, you know, the near term, unless he picks that up, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, well then let's move on to our final match. Oh, this was the ultimate. I took my head over my heart. I let Cam Norrie's win in the Auckland quarterfinals over Taylor Fritz, a match he won 7-6, 6-3, cloud my judgment. And to Taylor Fritz's credit, he proved me wrong. He wins his first-round matchup with Cam Norrie, 6-3, Jamie, Taylor looks really, really good. He did. Uh, he did look good. Um, you know, this is one of those matches, too, that I'll admit, not the most exciting to watch. Um, even the highlights when you're watching, you're like, okay. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, there were some good moments. Um, but really, that all of this was was Fritz played better. Um you know, he comes up with 15 aces to only one double fault. He gets break points, break point opportunities, and he he converts four of them. You know, that's he's just playing clean tennis. He was in it mentally, and um, you know, he got through the next round. I mean, the biggest thing that improved from Auckland on second serve points, Taylor goes 23 of 36, winning 64 percent, up from his 46 percent in Auckland. Yeah. For Cam Norrie, he won 81 percent of his first serve points in Auckland, only 70 percent in this match. Still pretty good, but the big number: 52 percent of his second serve points in Auckland, only 41 percent here. I think the second time you play a lefty, you know, you become much more comfortable with their spin. I think we saw Taylor take his backhands on the rise more in this match, change direction with that more often, not playing around cross court with Norrie's lefty forehand, obviously. I thought Taylor did a great job on the move with his forehand, getting the ball into Cam's backhand. Now, to Cam's credit, he did a good job taking the ball early, redirecting balls. Obviously, it was one break point in the first set. They trade breaks in the second set, and then Taylor kind of pulls away in the third. For Taylor, his weapons have just gotten better. I mean, every ball on the baseline, he is a threat to hit a winner. They have, and and you know, like you mentioned, the stats are just they're just a little different from their last time, and it flipped flipped the script really, and and that also 
you know, kind of brings up a point, mentally at least. For Fritz, he's kind of in a good spot here because, he, yeah, he loses in Auckland to Nori. But Nori, okay, Nori comes out of this and he's like, well, I'm playing Fritz again. I'm not really going to change what I did. I'm going to try and do the same thing. Whereas Fritz has the mindset of like, okay, I get to be the, you know, I get to be the one in control here. I'm going to be changing my game. And so maybe it just left Nori on a little, a little bit of a back foot there. I'm not sure if he was just trying to replicate what was going on. I, um, I but- think the difference in this match, Cam didn't come to the net as often. He only goes 10 of 17. When you're playing a Taylor Fritz or like a guy like Andre Rublev, you got to take time away from them. And I think Taylor, or well, to Taylor's credit, he played better from the baseline in this match. He hit more passing shots, hitting 42 winners against only 22 unforced errors. But for Cam Norrie, 17 attempts at the net is just not enough when you're playing a guy you need to stretch to the outer thirds of the court. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair too, um, and yeah, nor Cam just didn't do enough, um, especially with coming coming forward there, um, and like we like you said, Fritz played clean from the ground, um, and so he does look really good, and so I guess we'll see what that comes up when he plays. Where's he play next? Monfi, right? That'll be a fun one. Talk about two guys with firepower. They might hit forehands one twenty mile per hour each. That'll be fun to watch, and uh, see that's that's one of those. Very winnable. That is, you think so? Let me ask you: of Fritz versus Monfils, Opelka versus Fabiano, Mackey versus Chilich, which of those three matches? Oh, and I'll throw in this one as well: uh, Tiafo, who I believe draws a seed in his next round, takes on Kevin Anderson. Which of those four matches is the most winnable? Mm, It's got to be Fritz or Opelka. Um, I feel like it's Opelka. Okay. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I think there's a case to be made for Fritz. Just cause uh, give me the coffee, power. You never know. You're right. Opelka is the obvious choice, but if you're going one, two, three, four, I think that's so. Opelka's one to advance. Fritz would be two to advance, maybe. Um, and then I say Mackey three, Tiafo four, Mackey against yeah. Chilich, Tiafo yeah, against Anderson. Yeah. I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a big chance of Tiafo. I mean, I, we've seen him come up big. Remember that five set match against Federer not too long ago. Um, but like you said, Anderson, Anderson looks good and it would take a whole lot for Tiafa to pull that one off. Definitely not in the same uh, realm as the Opelka possibility. It, it, on Turnitopia, I took Nori over Monfils. I'm going to be rooting for Taylor so that mm. he sets the brat, you know, adjust for everyone who just stuck sure. with the seed. Sure. But yeah, Taylor was great. You know, one of my, if not my most impressive American male performance of the day, but... Let's get into some other results from the day. Let's start with the American men. We had just talked about him. Francis Tiafo, who takes out Praj Nash Gunaswarian, 7-6-6-3-6-3. Did you get a chance to catch any of this one? Not much of it, but I saw the highlights. All right, go on. What do you think? I mean, this is another one. This is the problem, too, with first rounds and majors, though, is like, especially with these straight set wins, it's like, there's not that much to say. I mean, I think Tiafo looked decent, but he's playing against a guy who he should beat. And, you know, you could maybe argue he should have beaten a little worse. I mean, I, I don't know. It's tough to say. What do you think on this one? I'll say this. Cashing those points early in the year, big cha-ching for him. I mean, that's true. That's definitely fair. And so drawing somebody who's coming out of qualities, like, that's that's nice for him. 
Um, but you know, maybe maybe if you're really looking to get on the Tiafo bandwagon, maybe you're looking for a bigger, a more convincing win on that huh. one. Well, I'm not sure. Then watch his match versus Anderson, and you know, hope Anderson doesn't figure out to serve to that Tiafo uh, forehand. All right, let, yeah. let's talk about some of the other ones though. Dennis Kudla comes back in five sets to take out Mark Pullman's the Australian wild card five seven one six six two six three six two. He was our last American winner on the day. I believe he now matches up with Schwartzman. That's another one. Yeah. I have that if I were to put that in the power rankings, probably just below Fritz. But I think both Kudla and Fritz are capable of taking out their seeds. I think I would put it above Fritz, actually. Ooh. I think I would put that as two. I mean, even though Fritz okay, so like I said, you know, mentally he did show a good job of, you know, bouncing back, you know, beating the guy he just lost to, and so he's definitely sort of locked in there. But he's playing in he's playing against a veteran and I I don't know. But then, geez, that's it's tough. But honestly, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm pretty high on Schwartzman. I've told you that. Yeah, it, it's a tough for both guys. I think Kudlow's going to have success redirecting his backhand against Schwartzman. You know, Schwartzman hits a heavy ball. I think Kudlow will be able to take it early, get it right in his strike zone. Still a really tough out for him. Certainly I was about a match to say, you I can ready see. To- that's you four ready to or five. Say he sets. wins it. What do you think? No, on Turnitopia, I have Kudla winning. I'm definitely okay. going to stick with that pick. All right, well, all might right. as well at this point. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, they're, they're all going to be good matches. The American men, it's a show me what you got type of second round. So it'll be fun fair to enough. see. Uh, you yep. know, on the other side of the spectrum, some of the American men who fell short today, Stevie Johnson loses to the hot Andre Seppi coming off of a final in uh, Sydney, six four four six six four six three. Chris Eubanks puts up a very valiant effort against number yeah. 19 seed Nicholas Bastelishvili. Not a bad before, showing at all. Yeah, before losing 6-4-4-6-7-6-6-3. And then one of my, uh, or I'll say Radu Elbad, you know, takes out Michael Moe. Maybe my most disappointing result of the day, 3-6-6-3-6-4-6-2. But my favorite match, or my low-key favorite match of the day, oh. Yoshihiro Nishioka taking out Tennis Sandgren, 6-4-7-6-4-6-6-4. This match was a grind. I mean, the, it was at least 15 balls per rally. Neither guy wanted to move forward because they both have so much speed and are able to hit passing shots from both wings. You know, Nishioka just moved the ball around the court so well, never hit a ball in the center. Every ball, decent depth or decent action on it. I'm intrigued to watch his second round matchup with Karen Kachanov. I'll definitely be glued into that, and I might even say that's a match we'll very likely cover on our day two re- or day three recap. I'll say this about that match though. I hope it's good. Because I'm not <laughs> fully I'm not fully confident going in that it's gonna be a really good match. I think there's a possibility, but I think there's an equal possibility that Kachanov just comes in red hot and hits him off the court. Can I give a counterpoint? Oh please. That's what we're all about here. <laughs> I you know, Karen Kachanov, I have him going to the finals. It's okay if he blows him off the court. It's a win win for me. Yeah, that's fair. That's great for you. But I'm saying, as as the as the humble spectator here, I hope it's a good match. <laughs> there are going to be a lot of long rallies. It'll be fun. Yeah, and then, yeah, true. Kachanov could hit a blistering forehand. And exactly. Just and hit, then it's yeah. over. Look, that's why I have him going where I do. But, all right, let's breeze through some other results very quickly. On the seeded front, Nadal takes out Duckworth in straight sets. Federer takes out Istomin in straight sets and was probably the quietest Roger Federer match in history. It you know it went on simultaneously with the Andy Murray RBA match. Sorry, Bautista Agu match, and just I feel like no one talked about it. But Federer threw comfortably in straights. 
Yeah, I mean, well, this is what we expect from Federer, right? It's a first round at a major. He's the defending champ of this major. You've got a bigger storyline with Murray happening. I mean, it is what it is. He takes care of business, straight sets, gets gets through I very have, easily. It's just comfortable. I have an obligation to hype this take, but Rafael Nadal looked a little creaky out there. Okay. I mean, he didn't look his best, or else it would have been oh no no. I yeah. see him doing first rounds of the French Open a lot. I know it's um, round one, so take it all with a grain of salt, but I, I like my Dimenauer pick. I'm feeling good about it. I mean, I'm feeling well, fine know, about it. As long it. as you're feeling good about it, that's really the only thing that's important. <laughs> I'm just right? trying to hype myself up. That's literally what this is all about. That's the point of this podcast. Did it work? Yeah, for now. Uh, but all right, let's move on to some of the other guys. Number five seed Kevin Anderson takes out Adrian Manorino in four sets, six three five seven six two six one. Really found his groove towards the end of that match. Marin Cilic takes out your guy Bernard Tomic six two six four seven six. My Comfort- guy, yeah. What are you talking about that guy's awful. <laughs> <laughs> really talented, but him and Kier. Did you see Tomic ripped Hewitt after the match? Yeah, I did. That was crazy. I just like of all the people you go after, you're gonna go after the Davis Cup. Captain, I, <laughs> I'll say this: he's kind of right about Hewitt playing in a lot of the yeah, doubles. Yeah, I did. I did think that was a good. That was a, that was a point. I was like, hmm, yeah, that's not that's not the worst point. <laughs> ah, when Bernard Tomic gets behind a microphone, interesting things always happen. We'd love to have you on the Cracked Interviews, Bernard. I will. I promise. You know, we'll keep it cocaine free. Um, but all right, let's move on to some other results. As we mentioned, Karen Kachnov takes out Peter Gojewicz, three six six three six four six three. You texted me saying Gojo takes a first set from your boy, and I thought you meant Borna Gojo of Wake Forest. Um, you know, I watched that first set, and Gojo was just slapping winners. I mean, it was nothing Kachnov could do. He had a so many break points at the end of that first set to break back at four or I think three five, but just you know, Gojovic was too good at the beginning absorbing that pace, and then I think in the end, Kachanov just was too much to handle. Yeah, he's a better player. Yeah, you moving on. CT Pass the fourteen, he takes out Berrettini six seven six four six three seven six. Similar situation. I think CT Pass just had to get his legs under him. Your yep. guy Diego Schwartzman, mm-hmm. uh, the eighteen, he takes out Rudolf Malecker. Six one. I did not pronounce that right for sure. Six one yeah, six well. three four six six zero. Oh. Grigor Dimitrov takes out Janko Tipsarevich. Four six six three six one six four. Verdasco takes out Kasmanovich. Seven six six three six three. In a match that the score is much closer than it actually was. Alex Dimenauer looks great in a six four seven five six four win over Pedro Sosa. And Gael Monfils takes out Zoomher. Six zero six four six zero. And really, the only seeds who lost were Stevie Johnson and Kyle Edmund. Yep. That's, yeah. I mean, that's... Is, oh, and Isner, I should round. say. And Isner. Well, yeah, for first round of a major, that's really not too much. Um, no, not a lot of damage on day one. Especially because Edmund is... That one was pretty foreseeable from a lot of people. Um, but yeah, no, really, really pretty uh, pretty by the books in terms of what what we've come to see in past years, at least. I agree with you, and some of the other winners on the day, Haas, Laxanen, Fabiano, Trapagila, Cuevas, Evans, Troisky, and then the Australian trio of Millman, Ebden, and Thompson all get wins, move on to the second round. Yeah, I think that's really the storyline from day one is, you know, as great as the Opelka-Isner matchup was, 7-6 in four sets, is it really an upset? It was so close, you know, like that was an either-or match. Yeah. Even the Edmund Burdich match seemed predictable. So many people were definitely talking about it. Right. 
I, I don't know what there were. I, there was really nothing that shocking from day one, other than Murray. Murray stole the show. That's why he dominated. No, I would. I I agree. Um, and I should say all this at least on the men's side. Right, and well, and yeah. If we get into the women's draw, women's draw of the past too, especially in the past five years, it seems like the women's draw always just kind of goes crazy, with with the exception of Serena. Um, but regardless of any of that, like especially from this first day, could have been a lot more upsets, but there weren't. Um, the one that stuck out to me at least was, and it's and it's not like a you know big time seed going down, but that that Mackie Rublev match, that's uh, that's definitely one to look out for, and that sticks out to me. Yeah, so then in terms of two more things we'll do before we go, I wanted to ask you your favorite match of the day, and let's exclude Murray and, and Bautista Goo because yeah. that one's too obvious, was what match, Jamie? Well, I feel like I just gave it away, but it was that Rublev-Mackie match. That was a lot of fun to watch. Not only were there great ground stroke points, but you got to see some of the high points of Mackie and what he can do. Um, even to someone who can you know, just absolutely blast the ball, he can, take the, he can take those weapons away from him. He can take away time. He can put just annoying pressure on him. He can come in and close off points at the net. Um, he looked really great, and that was a lot of fun to watch for me. For me, I already mentioned it. Nishioka Sandgren. I mean, those guys were just hustling. It was yep. great tennis, so fun to watch. You know, I'm sure you're overwhelmed with tennis as well, but if you have time, you know, check those ones out because these first round, there's so many great matches, and you don't want to miss out on all this tennis. In five days, you know, we'll be missing it all. We'll be like, oh, there's only eight matches today. That sucks. True. And so, you know, take advantage of it now. But all Very right, the true. last thing I want to do then, let's talk about day two, which will probably have started when this podcast is released. We've got the second half of the first round on the men's side. Ton of good matches slated for action. Jamie McDonald, give me the three matches you have as must-see TV. Ooh, must-see TV. Well, I guess that means I have to get ESPN Plus then, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think for me, it's Ronich Curios is number one. Um, that that seems obvious, just because that's that's a crazy first round matchup for a major, especially one where you never know what's going to happen with Curios. My next one is Vavrinka Golbis. Um, I'm anxious to see what Vavrinka is going to look like. I hope he comes out swinging. You know me. I I have a weakness for for pick and stand and draws, um, but I need to see it happen. And you know he's going up against someone who's kind of notorious for having a weird game, but also coming up with big wins, giant slayer wins and majors. And so um, you never know. And then honestly, I'm looking forward to watching Simone. I told you even before, I can't remember if we were recording when I told you this yesterday or if it was before. I've been excited to watch this crop of the French veterans. And so Simone's one of my guys. I watched him last week when he was playing. He looked pretty good. Um, I'm excited to watch him play. I have Simone Fertangelo on my list as well. It'll be a fun shot for Fertangelo, who can do a lot of things on the court well, but nothing really exceptional. Um, you know, one could argue that's the same thing you would say about Jill Simone, as he does a lot of things really well, but nothing too exceptional. So Hits it'll, some it'll clean be a, backhands. Yeah, it, it, it's Sandgren Nishioka esque in how physical the match could be. Uh, the matches I'll be watching, you know, Chung Bradley Klon. That'll be a great one. Obviously, we got the chance to meet Bradley Klon in Cincinnati and at Stowe. Big fan of his. And for Hyun Chung, he's got a lot of points to defend. And, you know, this is a tough first-round yeah. match. Bradley's a lefty guy who's not going to go away very relentless with his forehand. And, you know, a lot of backhand slice will be in play. Chung will have to dip low on his forehand, something he's not the most comfortable doing. 
Yeah. It, it's a fun match to watch. Uh, the yeah, Another one I have, Novak Djokovic versus Mitchell Kruger. You know, Djokovic is the type of guy oh who boy. likes to play with his food early on. It's a first-round yeah, match. He'll, <laughs> he'll be comfortable. I think Kruger, you know, physically very gifted, but just doesn't have the weapons to hurt a Djokovic. Still, you know, you know who knows? I'm always rooting for you, Mitch, so we'll, we'll see what yeah. happens. I will say the one I forgot to say, too. You know this one has a lot of implications for me, uh, especially for you guys. If you listened to yesterday's pod, you know uh, the team first-round match against Benoit Pair. <laughs> That's uh, sneaky good, sneaky good. I think okay, – here's the thing, though. If team hits with enough just – I don't know. If he hits with pace and spin to Pair's forehand, he's got to win that match, right? Like, I mean Benoit Pair's forehand makes me feel good about my forehand. It is. It, it makes it you feel watch. good about your forehand. Hey, my forehand is great. Don't give me that. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's honestly insane. And as soon as you see some of the guys who are just better than Benoit Pair hit to his forehand, it just breaks down so quickly. So hopefully he's able to do that, or else my bracket is in some uh, some deep trouble, to say the least. Yeah. Should we talk about Rayonich Kyrgios more, or just you know? That's it is up what to you. Is. I mean, it is what it is. It's hard to talk about just because there's so much unknown when Kyrgios steps on a court. Um, there's so many different factors, especially because you know he's coming in unseated, but he's got the home crowd. You never know if he's going to be engaged mentally, but he can also hit any shot he wants. It seems like sometimes. But I Milos Raonic is probably the most boring player you can come up against because it's going to be the same yeah. thing the entire time. That's true, and that's part of what makes him great. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's what at two thirty you said. I think it's something like that. It, it's it's like 2 or 2.30 when it's slotted to go on. Yeah, I don't so. know about that. All right, well, we can leave it there. Any final thoughts before we wrap up, Jamie? No, I'm just – well, I'm excited to stay up for, you know, 47 hours and watch all these matches. No, I wish I could. I do really wish I could because we do get spoiled at the beginning of majors where there's just so many matches and it seems like there's always one on. Um, but, no, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this and – these next couple days are going to be good. We'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it on the next pod too, but these day three matchups, there's some good ones already cooking. Yeah, I look forward to it. It's going to be an exciting day of tennis. I'll remind everyone, if you missed anything and want to catch up, go to our website, crackrackets.com. Be with us, listeners, all week long as we provide, all two weeks long, I should say, as we provide you coverage of every round of this year's Australian Open. But one last time, for our super producers, Daniel Westhoff and Max Fligner, who have a f- of a job to do, as always. For our wonderful fill-in co-host, James Foster McDonald, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we say to our fans? Hey, great shot. And we will see you in round two. Thanks, everyone. Bye.